When I get mad at another driver who's not paying attention, I use the name of Jesus to vent my anger. Sometimes people seem to not take me seriously, so I tell them, I swear to God. Oh my God, that's awful. OMG, I'll be right over. This is all harmless, right? God doesn't take this so serious that it'll keep me out of heaven, right? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury and the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, please stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 AM and 94.7 FM. If you missed our radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Gab, YouTube, Rumble at God's Resistance, and that is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. OMG, or oh my God, as known in the texting environment, and its equivalents, they're just part of American culture, people say. That's what people think. You know, it's no wrongs really meant by it. It's just figures of speech. These may be the ways that you're thinking about Something uh, like what I just said with OMG or oh my God. They're just figures of speech. The problem is, is we have such a low concept of God that we are losing our shock and our disgust at sin. Does it really matter, ultimately, what you think is a true offense to God? Does it matter really what I think is a true offense to God? Morality is often talked about When the other person does the heinous thing, oh man, that's wrong. They shouldn't have done this and we can point our fingers everywhere else. The problem is is we don't like to bring home the teachings of the Bible to our own hearts. Americans now seem to shun responsibility, personal responsibility. They shun it at work. Don't want to do a good job. Don't want to climb up the ladder. Don't want to take responsibility for a mistake or something that we've done that's caused some problem. They also, Americans, it didn't used to be this way, but it definitely seems to be in this way much more now than it ever has been. Don't want to take, the Americans don't want us to take responsibility for their own actions. It's often everyone and everything else's fault but my own. That's kind of the culture that we are living in. But when a command comes from God's mouth to us, we should seriously consider that. God is the perfect and ultimate judge. Our concern should be, what is his verdict? I mean, after all, we're going to be standing before the God of all the earth in the end. We're going to be standing before him. Shouldn't we, want, shouldn't we desire to know what his verdict is? Shouldn't we 
try and seek a way to mend whatever has happened, whatever's gone wrong. We want God's ways. And that's where we're going to be picking up here. We're going through the Ten Commandments. We did the last two last week. We're picking up on the third commandment here. What I just said, as far as paying attention to what God says and what comes out of his mouth and his verdict, that applies to all of his laws, every single one of them. And a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with laws these days. They think, you can't tell me what to do. The problem with that is, look at all of everything around us. We've got more problems now than we ever have because we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to have constraints. However, constraints are very productive, especially when it comes to moral things. So we're picking up the third commandment here. And the third commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're going to pull out a little chunk right here. You shall not take the name. That's you, listener. You who are listening. This is personal to you. It's a personal command, and it's a personal responsibility. He said, you, dear listener, shall not. That means this is not permitted. That doesn't mean that I don't have the possibility of doing this shall not that's said to, to you here or I. I still have the possibility. You still have the possibility. You have a free will. You can still do whatever you want, but we're told here that it is not permitted. It is clearly a negative. You shall not. I shall not do what? Take. And it's take the name as we look here, but notice it doesn't say, you shall not say. It's take. That's the word. That's the key word. Taking implies that something belonged to someone else, and now it's in my possession. I have taken it. And he's saying, thou shalt or you shall not take the name. That is God's name. You shall not take the name. And when we think about names, let's just think about it for a second. A name represents all that a person is. If you say the name of a loved one or somebody else that you might know, often what happens is not only are we referring to that whole person and everything that that person is, but maybe a picture of that person is formed in our mind. You say somebody's name and you think about them. You think about maybe memories uh, of interactions you've had with this person. You think about things that you know about them, whether you know them intimately or not, something, some kind of thoughts or imagination attaches itself to the mention of someone's name. Here we're told, you shall not take the name, the name. And what is this name that we shall not take? This name is the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord. Most Bible translations, if you were to look this up, uh, the word Lord is in all capitals, L-O-R-D. And that is usually signifying that the original word in Hebrew, um, and uh, its equivalent in Greek, um, would be that would be the New Testament is Greek, the Old Testament is Hebrew, but where it is all caps, L-O-R-D, then it is saying Jehovah. And what is behind that word Jehovah is the self-existent eternal one. Chew on that just for a minute. This is whom we're talking about when we mention 
God's name. We're talking about Jehovah, the self-existent. That means nobody created him. There is no cause behind him. He is the first cause of all things. The self-existent, eternal one. There is no beginning. There is no end. The word eternal means from vanishing point to vanishing point. And this is God. He's beyond all of that. He is eternal. So we're saying, do not, God is saying, you shall not take the name of the Lord, that is the self-existent eternal one, in vain. Just backing up for a second for some context, God was telling the Israelites this through Moses um, on the Mount Sinai when he was giving the law. And so this is the context it's had. But this is the moral law, and it extends throughout all of existence for all humanity. These truths are still true. It's still something that you and I need to be concerned about. It's still something that God would judge us by. This isn't just the the people of Israel back in those days. All of us realize when we read these things, this applies to humanity over the bounds of ethnicity, nations, everything. And when we think about this moral law, If we were to look inside of our governmental system, our court systems, they have based the laws off of these Ten Commandments of God. Those things are there. Now, they have done very well in whittling away some of these things over the course of years, and it'll be to the shame of Americans, and it'll be to the judgment of America, as well as to the judgment of those that have put their hand to God's law and try to snuff it out and take it out of the public eye and out of the public heart. That is where we are. But he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent eternal one, your God in vain. Notice that. He is everyone's God. He's everyone's God, whether they follow him or not. Because God, first of all, the only true God of all existence. If you listen to the previous radio show last week, which we dealt with commandments one and two, for someone to be God, they have to be the highest in all their attributes or characteristics or traits. They have to be the highest because if they're not the highest, they're not God. There's somebody else that's higher. That's just a philosophical understanding. If there is a God, then he has the highest perfection of all beings. I think that anybody could agree with me. Even if you're an atheist and you're listening to this, you have to say that if there was a God, he would have to have the highest perfection of all beings in order to even be God. I think that philosophically, we could all agree that that makes perfect sense. So when it says that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God, of course he's your God. He's your God whether you follow him or not because he created you. And he created all people. He sustains you and sustains all people. And he is the only God. There is no other true God in existence. Therefore, by default, the God of all creation is everyone's God. Whether they want to acknowledge him or not, whether they love or hate him, whether they bless him or spit on him, it doesn't matter. He is God because of who he is. And we are told, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
I just want to ask you before we move on, do you own this supreme being as yours or do you reject him? Is he your God by choice or is he just your God by default? Do you listen to him? Do you seek him? Who is this God to you? We are told not to take the name of the Lord your God. You're not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, when we think about the word vain, that's maybe not as much in common usage as perhaps it used to be. So let's define it for a moment. The definition of the word vain is useless, empty, pointless. That would be the understanding of the word vain. If you look in the Old Testament to the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a saying in there that says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That means emptiness, uselessness, pointlessness. Everything is that way. And the context of that was that Solomon, he decided to apply his heart into wisdom, as he said, and he tried to have everything his heart could wish for, whether that be food, whether that be um, all the pleasures of life, whatever those be, he had countless wives. And then he built buildings, take, had undertaken some huge projects. He had done that. He had explored everything that life had to offer, thinking that he might find wisdom, joy, purpose, fulfillment, happiness in those things. And what he came back with, with was vanity. Vanity, all is vanity. I didn't find the wisdom. I didn't find the joy. I didn't find the happiness in all these things of life. It's all useless. It's all empty. It's all pointless. That was Solomon's conclusion. When you get to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, then he says, the only thing that makes all of this make sense is to fear God and to serve him and honor the king. Those are the things that make the most sense. With, with that as a worldview, then all of these other things fit right into place and make perfect sense. So when we think about, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, we're told we're not to take God's name uselessly, with emptiness, without value, without reason, without purpose, without weight. And we're not to use God's name in a pointless manner or to take it in a pointless manner. That is where our frame of reference is going to be as we continue to progress here because we're told we are not to do that and after this little break, I am going to break it open as to what that may look like very practically. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance, that is G-O-D-S. R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So how can we use the name of the Lord God in vain? We need to know what that looks like in order for us to not do it. 
Well, one of the ways is in blaspheming God. You've probably heard that expression, or maybe you've never heard that expression. I'm going to break it down so it's very simple. How can we blaspheme God's name? One way is by cursing the name of God. When we look in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 9 through 15, we read about a man named Sennacherib, who was an Assyrian king. And I'm just going to read this little section. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you? Hezekiah was the king of Judah at that time. That he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? So here we find the Assyrian king mocking God, cursing God. Who is this God? I've defeated all the other gods. So we've got to be careful. That's taking God's name in vain. It's treating it like nothing, like it has no word or worth or value, like God is nobody. We see another place in the scripture of Goliath. You've no doubt heard the account of David and Goliath. Well, after Goliath had sat there mocking God and mocking his people and just basically saying, you guys are just a bunch of fleas, um, you know, send a guy out here who can fight me. We can end this thing once and for all. If he wins against me, then, then the Philistines will leave you alone. If I win, then you're our slaves. And he says, he just mocks the people of Israel. They're nothing. Well, David, he hears about this and he says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So we find here, Goliath took the name of God in vain on his lips. He took it empty without weight, without purpose, without meaning. He thought that it was nothing, and the people of Israel who are God's people, they're nothing. Took his name in vain. We can do that, uh, cursing the name of God, by using God's name like a swear word. Let me ask you this question. Why is it that God, his name, saying that you know we're going to, by his name, damning other people, or by the name of Jesus, we, we curse and swear? Why is it that it's that? Why is it that it's God and his son, Jesus Christ, that is used as a cuss word inside of people's mouths? And yet that doesn't happen with any other religious figurehead. You don't hear people walking around using Muhammad's name like a cuss word. You don't walk around hearing people use Buddha's name like a cuss word. Why is it that it's Jesus Christ is a cuss word? Why is it that the name of God is dragged in the dust? I would submit to you that it's because it is the express hatred of the devil himself that has infected our hearts and, the, and our minds against God. Satan knows, that is the devil, 
He knows that the gods of other religions are no threat. So he makes his assault on the one true God and Jesus Christ. There is only one true God because there cannot be two. There is no one equal in power to a supreme being. The supreme being is just that, the supreme being, and that is whom we're talking about, God. And so you can curse the name of God or blaspheme his name by using his name like a swear word. I hear that so often. You can do it by using God's name as a magic word. We look in the Old Testament and the Israelites took the ark of God into battle as a charm, so to speak. They thought, well, if we're going to win against this army that's coming up against us, let's just lift up the ark of God and bring it in. Because if we have the ark of God with us, it really doesn't matter how we live. If we have that ark of God with us, then what will happen is we'll be able to defeat them. And so they kind of use God's name like a magic word. Well, he'll come along with us even though we are living wickedly. You know, he'll still just bless us because he's like, it's like a charm. People wear necklaces and all things for that same reason. They've got a cross hanging from the mirror of their car. They get crosses hanging on their wall and all that. And yet they live sinful, filthy, wicked lives. I was there one time as well. Also, we read in the New Testament that there were vagabond Jews. They were exorcists. And they were saying to a, a demon that was possessing a man, uh, by, by Jesus, by that name Jesus, and, and also that Jesus that Paul preaches about, we are telling you to come out of that man. And what happens was that demon says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? They were using God's name. They were using the name of Christ like a magic word, and it won't work. That's using God's name vainly or empty, without purpose, pointless, useless. We can do it by using God's name lightly in conversation to express shock. The phrase that you hear so often is, oh my God, when we hear something that just floors us, oh my God. You don't think that you're saying, oh my God, said Rachel Edelman, 15 years old. You're just thinking, oh, like it's a surprise. OMG, it's nothing to be thought about. And that really, I think, expresses most of what people think about that phrase, oh my God. It's really no big deal. It's just a cultural norm. We just talk like that. Sometimes uh, we use God's name lightly in conversation, as I had referenced before, just expressing anger. Or we say, God bless you to people without really considering the true weight and meaning of those words. It's just a habit of speech. So God's name is empty when it leaves your lips. Using God's names. God's name, excuse me, or attributes, that is his characteristic or traits, to give weight to your words. We see Jesus had a problem with that when he talked with the Pharisees. They said, we swear by the temple, we swear by uh, uh, the throne of God, we swear by heaven. They, They swore by all these other things, and they were trying to give weight to their words. Why were they doing that? It's because their words didn't have any weight. They had no intention of fulfilling the things that they were speaking with their mouths, so they had to use some other way to get people to believe them. And so we hear that a lot today. I swear to God I did this. I swear to God I saw that. That's using God's name in vain. Another way you can use God's name or take God's name in vain, rather, is calling yourself a Christian. That is taking God's name to yourself, owning it as yours, and not living up to the profession of a Christian. Think about it like this. A woman takes the man's name in marriage, so she should conduct herself so as to be in unity with the name of her husband, that last name. They're they're one unit now. She shouldn't be taking his name and then going around with a bunch of other guys. It's the same, that that, that concept is like this. Don't live up, you, you don't live up to the standard of the Bible and you don't take pains 
to move in harmony with it, but you call yourself a Christian, it doesn't make sense. So calling yourself a Christian by name and not living like it is taking God's name in vain. God's name is to be used with great reverence. It's not to be taken flippantly, as I had just mentioned in some of these other ways. It's to be used in great reverence. I'm not saying that what I'm about to tell you is necessarily what we have to do, but it shows you the reverence that people had for God's name. Jewish copyists of the Old Testament scriptures, those are people that, you know, we have a printing press right now, so we could just print Bibles off in mass. At that point, all scriptures were hand copied, written on different pieces of paper or parchments, and they would copy them over and over. And they took such great care. Well, there were some of them that took such great care over it. One of the ways they did that was every time that the name of God was to be written with the quill in their hand, they used an entirely different quill or pen to write God's name. They held God's name in reverence. Is that strictly necessary? No, but it just goes to show you the reverence that they had. God held his name in high esteem when he revealed his name to Moses and he said, I am that I am. I mean, nobody else can have that title. He held his name with great reverence, not because he's an egomaniac, but because he knows he is the only and one true God. We use God's name in reverence as we address him by his name in prayer. This is not using God's name in an empty or a vain way. We use his name when we speak about him, when preachers preach, or even in, in conversation, or even like I am right now, I'm using the name of God to talk about him. I'm not using it empty and without meaning and purposeless and pointless. I'm using it with meaning, and that is how we should be using it. God says in the last part of this verse, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the guilt, think about it, the guilt that comes from taking God's name in vain. Lexi Levin, 18 years old, describes herself as an avid OMG user in text, and she thinks using OMG is a long way from, oh my God. To her, it's akin to golly, gee, and gosh. That's kind of how I think about it. I don't know if that's a fair way to think about it, but it's how I make myself feel better. Why would somebody be trying to make themselves feel better except that they already recognize there's guilt for using God's name flippantly like that? God's verdict upon those that take his name in vain is guilty. That may be hard for you to hear. Guilty of what? Sin. Guilty of dragging his name down in the dust. The high and lofty one that inhabits eternity and then dragging his name down in the dust. What will you answer God when you stand before him? What will you answer God now as no doubt he is so faithfully speaking to your conscience as I'm telling you these truths? What will you answer him? If God really means everything to you, the center of your life, then you're not going to use his name lightly. Think about it this way, listener. Guilt is a gift. Wouldn't you rather be found guilty now? Repent of your sins and be saved and not found guilty on the day of judgment and there have no remedy? Guilt is God's way of getting our attention so that he can forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. So how about it, listener? Have you used God's name in vain? Have you used it like a swear word? Somebody cuts you off when you're driving? 
you start cussing out his name and swear. Somebody says something to you you don't like, you start cussing him out and swearing. You got some, some problems you've had to deal with throughout a day and you're frustrated, so you use his name like that. Do you use God's name like a swear word? Do you use God's name lightly? OMG in your texts. Oh my God. Even oh my gosh is an insinuation. Do you use his name lightly as if it has no meaning? Do you call yourself a Christian, but live in a way that is against Jesus' teachings? If you are guilty here in taking his name in vain, you have broken one of God's Ten Commandments. And being guilty, you are headed to hell. The good news is that God has put Jesus as a substitute for us. What we have to do is repent and believe, and there's still hope. You can be saved. You can be born again. The guilt can be washed away. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me. I want to talk with you. I want to set up a time to meet with you. I want to coach you and help you on your journey to walk with God. Also, you should like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube uh, for the teaching and preaching that's there. You'll get more of that to help you in your journey. You can connect with others that are going on their journey. Make sure to tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 94.7 and 1550 a.m. And then tell them about our social media accounts as well. But above all, join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.